Good morning again. Uh, it's been said a couple times. Uh, my name's Sean. Um, if you're new uh, and I don't know, you've been coming for a little bit, I'd, I'd love to get to know you. Um, I'll be out in the lobby afterwards uh, over by the Connect desk. Just come up and say hi. Um, real quick, something if you're, you're going to be coming for a while, know that Redemption Church is one church, 10 different congregations spread throughout the state of Arizona. Eight are in the valley. Each congregation is elder-led and lead pastor-led, so we don't do satellites or anything like that. We feel like the best way to do this is to have local leaders on the ground the way that we do. Um, if, if you're new, I want you to, to understand, specifically when it comes to Redemption Peoria, the best way to be plugged in is to be in a redemption community. It's to be in rooms with people that aren't like you, uh, studying, serving, uh, being held accountable, sometimes just having fun, whatever it is. And uh, when we do that, the, the, the way to do that is, is in communities, but um, we don't want to just throw in communities like we have in the past. And so we have what is called the Start Here class. So if you're new, um, this Start Here class that we do is uh, the first three Sundays of every month, and it's starting uh, today. But you can sign up for November Start Here class, and we'll get you going uh, in that way. But in general, if you want to join a class in general, there's a married class that starts this month, a singles class that starts next month. Um, you can just text 623-850-4690, text the word JOIN. Um, if you're like, oh man, I forgot about the marriage class, I still want to join that. Um, though you can't jump in the Start Here class next week, you can jump into the marriage class next week if you want. It's not too late. It's, it happens during first service. You can just go to first and, uh, or go to the marriage class first service and then attend the second service if that is what's best for you. Um, so I only have two announcements outside of that, and I am going to keep it quick because I, I know I talk fast already. The first one is for the worship team. Um, if you feel like you are skilled, and that doesn't mean you are, but maybe you are, um, skilled in, in uh, playing an in, in instrument, singing, uh, maybe you just want to help with, with media stuff or whatever it is, but specifically when it comes to uh, singing and playing instruments and all that, we're going to have... Uh, some worship band auditions. It's on uh, Saturday, October 28th. So at the end of this coming month, right? Uh, which is today the first? No. Yes, it is. Wow. Holy cow. It's October. Um, uh, anyway, that's going to be at Redemption Arcadia. Josh, the guy who leads, you can ask him as he's kind of running out and about. You can ask him any details on that. But those are the details. you also see it online if you need to as well. Here's the last thing for you. And I promise I'm done with the announcements. I said to you a couple weeks back, we're going to start getting uh, going for Christmas. We're trying to be ahead of the game with all of this because every year we set up a store in um, a school that's for uh, some Title I schools in our area to sell the toys that we buy, really good toys, um, at 90% off. So they buy them at 10% of the cost. And then we give the, the money to the school. And we're still going to do that. Philosophically, we feel like we're behind it. We have a lot of reasons uh, as to why we're doing it. But here's what we want to do. We want to jump ahead and get some gift cards going because we want to get good toys at good prices. And so we send out a slew of people uh, on uh, um, Black Friday. But, so now it's like Black Thursday at this point. Um, on Thanksgiving, these people, stores were open on Thanksgiving Day, 1 p.m. It's like, why do we haven't even ate yet? Um, so whatever it is, we're, we're going to be sending out uh, people around that time. So if you have some gift cards that you're saying, hey, what kind of gift cards? I'd like to buy some. I can't help in any other way right now. There's a table by the Connect Desk. So just so you know, that's what it's for. It's our affordable Christmas table. Cool. Um, something I, I, uh, I want to do before we jump in. I don't like, uh, and I've told Josh this, that we go from reading the word and then I got to do announcements right into to preaching. So I want to pray if we can have a, uh, just pray as, as not just a transition, but just a recognition that, um, Man, there was something when Josh read uh, that, that text and then we sang that song. I was like, let's get it in right now. Um, that was good stuff. So I, I want to pray and that just honestly God would reveal himself in some really cool ways. Father, thanks so much for who you are. We pray now that uh, as we open up your word and we finish the book of Acts. Crazy. We finished the book of Acts. It's taken us nine months to get through. Um, that you would be with us and that uh, you would give us wisdom, that spirit, and that you would... 
uh, open the eyes of our understanding according to Ephesians 1, that we would see your word rightly. We love you. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, as I said my prayer there, uh, if you're new, you're really coming at the end of the movie. And when I say the end, the end, the end. This Sunday um, is the last time that we'll read from Acts. And then next Sunday, we're going to do something that correlates with Acts. But I'll explain that a little bit later. Um, I'm going to get through our last text uh, to, in, in a second in Acts 28. But I want to explain something very quickly as we kind of go through this. The premise of what the Gospels are in the book of Acts is talking about this kingdom. It's the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that word Gospel is not new to the Bible. It's not new or or unique to Christianity, at least in the first century, um, the idea of gospel, the Greek word euangelion, was something that was used often in, in wartime, meaning if two cities or two countries were to come together and they were to begin to battle, and country A was to overtake country B, country A would send a delegate back to the country, where uh, away from the battleground, and that servant, that, that messenger would come into the city, and he would be yelling, euangelion, euangelion, the gospel, I've got good news, we won, I've got good news. And it was this way of proclaiming that the victory, the battle, is already done. This is what Jesus is doing when he comes on the scene. He's saying, I- I'm here to proclaim the good news, the, the gospel, that-, that I'm here to start the effects and reverse the curse. And so as he, he, the-, the messenger comes in, the big question that I, I have, and I've wrestled with this with-, with some people before, is what then? Right, so once you've won the battle, yeah, we won, we won, and now um, that's almost where the, the movie ends, right? If you've ever read a, a book or a, uh, I've watched a movie where it says, and they lived happily ever after, right? This is the old kind of Disney model where, where at which point you have to begin to ask the question, well, well now what? Right, so, so here's Prince Charming and Snow White or whoever, I always forget who's Prince Charming's with, he's a, a player, but he, he, like, whoever he's with, whoever he's with, right? So, and then they live happily ever after. And anybody who's been married, I know it's funny, but like, you know Happily ever after isn't just what we just watched. It's not always that. Uh, and so the question that I have is like, wh- what then? What, what, is, what, what takes place when, when it's done and they lived happily ever after? And here's what I would argue. Um, though Jesus is going to return, um, the book of Acts is that. Meaning Jesus dies on the cross and he raises from the dead. And you could almost leave it. Your, your sins are taken care of. The Bible could have left us there and said, and you lived happily ever after. Just know that Jesus has taken care of it. But what the Holy Spirit does is, is he gives us the book of Acts to, to dive into the details of what that happily ever after actually looks like. And so today, um, I want to rewind and look back at the book of Acts and ask the big question, um, what did we learn about what happens after happily ever after? Now, before we get there, and I'm going to give us eight points, and I know I'm not a, a give you a point type of guy. Let's read the, the end of our text here as we wind it down and, and just um, bring up this idea as to why it's important. So um, starting in verse 11, I'm not going to read. I'm actually going to sum up verses 11 all the way to 22. And we're going to pick it up in 23 um, just uh, due to time and, and the text and all that. So uh, what we start first is finally, if, if you haven't been with us, this guy, Paul, we've been tracking with more than half of the book of Acts. And he's been on this journey to make it to different cities. He's been causing riots. It's been crazy, y'all. And, and as he arrives in certain cities and gets to certain towns, there's this press to get to Jerusalem. And then when he gets to Jerusalem, there's this press to get to Rome. And uh, what, we le- what we were left with uh, last week is he finally makes it to this island of Malta, bit by a snake, handles it like a champ, and eventually gets into Italy and eventually makes it into Rome. And what uh, Abby came up and read is the, the, the idea or the fact that Paul ra- arrives into Rome and brothers immediately come around to gather him and he's talking, he's encouraged, and things are going really, really well. He's still in chains, but he's allowed to, to be able to uh, embark in conversation with, with uh, fellow believers around him. Now, this is ca- causing a stir- 
stir a little bit. So what happens is the Jews in that area say, okay, we've heard about this apostle Paul. We don't know much about him. We've heard about this way thing. Let's go find out for ourselves. And what you find in the text, which I love is the Jews go, we haven't heard anything. The, the previous Jews, FYI, if, if you're new to the book of Acts, have been trying to kill him. They actually said, we won't eat until we kill him. Okay. So, so if these Jews who are in Rome heard anything from these Jews who've been chasing down Paul, it would be bad for Paul. But, but the Jews go, no, we haven't heard anything from them. Why don't you tell us about Jesus? And he's like, oh, I will. Right. And so he begins to go in and he begins to explain through the prophets. He begins to explain through the law of Moses, why Jesus is who he said he was. And he continues to go at him. And eventually we pick it up in verse 23. When they had appointed the day for him, they came to him, they being the Jews and him being Paul, at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded uh, to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Everything I just explained. Verse 24. Now hear this. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after uh, Paul had made one statement. Here's one statement. If you've been with us in the book of Acts, you know this, this, the big rub here that the Jews do not like and cause dissonance between the Jews before. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has, has grown dull and with their ears, they can barely hear and their eyes, they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn. I will heal them. Verse 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. At which point uh, the, the Jews hear that. So, I mean, if you could just imagine Paul going, well, let me tell you about Jesus. Here he is in Jeremiah. Here he is in Leviticus. Let me explain how all this connects together. And, and, and they're going, uh, some of them believe, some of them displease. And he goes, you know what? The prophet Isaiah was right. You guys have dull hearts. You don't want to hear what, what the truth is. You want to hear what you want to hear, which probably isn't a good starting place. He goes in at him a little bit, but then he goes, and ultimately here's what you have to recognize. This good news of God did not just come to you. It also came to the Gentiles. If you don't know what a Gentile is, a Gentile is anybody not Jewish. And this is what sparks them going, forget this. That's exactly what sparked the Jews before. Forget that. And so they're upset. Some believe, some don't, but they don't want anything to do with that statement. And then finally, verse 30, he being Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. End of Acts 28, enter Mark Driscoll, Acts 29. Um, so, um, here's, here's where we have, um, uh, this, this big kind of stop, right? We, we spent the book of Acts starting with, uh, this idea of the Holy Spirit following, uh, falling, um, persecution, crazy stories. If you've been with us and if we could be honest for a moment, that's just a terrible way to end the story. I mean, what we have is some crazy stuff and here's how Luke decides to end it out. And Paul was in Rome and people came to him. He was proclaiming the kingdom of God. That's cool. And you're left with all kinds of crazy stuff. One, you're left with, okay, well, you, Luke, you asked me to give my heart here to following Paul's journey. What happened to Paul? Secondly, you're going, well, what do I do now? Okay, now, now I know the story. What, what do I, and then here's the big one for me, that, the third thing that I think I, I want to ask, if I can ask you here, is what happened to Jesus? 
So Jesus was like constantly making these appearances. The Spirit's constantly making these appearances in the book of Acts, even as late as Acts 28 on the ship telling, hey, listen, it's going to be okay, Paul. And now we've got nothing? Like if I'm a first century, second century uh, Christian, I'm going, well, wait a minute. That's where it ends. What am I supposed to do with this? What happened? So just real quick, if, if you're not familiar with the story of Paul, historically we know he died in Rome. What we don't know is if he traveled to Spain first. We found out earlier in the book of Acts he desired to travel to Spain. I would actually argue he did travel to Spain, left Rome, came uh, back to Rome after going to Spain, and then uh, he, he was killed there. That's one thing that we do know. The second question as far as what are we supposed to do now, we're going to get into in a second. And the last thing is what happened to Jesus? Well, he's still very present, but um, I think what's not said speaks volumes, right? So, so um, uh, Joel Green, who's the foremost scholar on a Lucian writing, with the Luke and uh, uh, the book of Acts, which is two, two, the same story with two different books. He says when, when someone was going to write down what is in a certain book, specifically with Luke as a doctor, he has this papyrus and he's going to be writing down, if you can imagine, a scroll or a large piece of paper and it's marked out as a grid. Luke knows exactly what he's going to put in from beginning to end. Joel Green, the foremost scholar on Luke, argues that it's not an accident that, that Acts ends this way. And, and even if, if Luke messed it all up, we ultimately are left with this big thing that the Holy Spirit, who we believe inspired Luke to write the book of Acts, did not mess up. There's something here that's driving towards, and there's very few commentaries that you're not going, that you're going to find that don't say this, and Joel Green confirms this, that Luke intentionally writes a story without an end. He writes this story because, check it out, we are still in that story. We are in Acts 29, Acts 30, Acts 31, intentionally left to follow church history as we see Polycarp, as we see Justin Martyr, as we see the, the Catholic Church growing in, the Protestant Reformation. We follow this church and we are still in the book of Acts, which leaves a big question. And I think the best way that I've heard it asked is um, by a guy named Chris Wright. Uh, Chris Wright it wrote a book called The Mission of God's People. We use it for our leadership development. Um, and he brings up this idea uh, in his book. And so he says, imagine, I was just talking with the, the leaders that uh, are in the process right now uh, with this. Imagine, if you can, that there's these Shakespearean historians. Okay, and these Shakespearean historians love Shakespeare. They know everything about Shakespeare. But imagine they find the long lost play of Shakespeare. Now there's a problem. It's a six act play. And when they find this play, they, 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 they see Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, Act 4, clear. They can read it. They know exactly what Shakespeare's trying to get at. They can see Act 6, super clear. But unfortunately, the way that the papers have been lying, Act 5 is kind of fuzzy. You can read the first half of Act 5, uh, but you can't really make out what's in uh, the, the back half of Act 5. And, and Chris Wright says, okay, well, what if we did this? What if we were to get Shakespearean historians and Shakespearean actors together, and we were to say finish or complete what's in that missing space. What do you think Shakespeare was trying to get at? You have clear as day the first four acts. We have the way that the play is going to end, but what do we, what do, we do with this? We don't know exactly. Now you have character development. You have all of this. What would you do? What would you do? How, how does that part of the play look? Now Chris Wright's uh, point is obvious, right? We have all of the Old Testament. We have the Gospels as Jesus arrives on the scene, and we have the beginning of the church, and then we have the way it's all going to end. The question that's left is, what now? 
if we were Shakespearean historians and we're to look at that play and we've got to look at all the context, the way that the people are, the way that they're acting, it, it pushes us who live right now in 2017 to go, well, then how should we be acting? What should be happening in our context if we're Acts 30, 31, 32, 33? Then how do we line up in this play? Does it feel like we go Act 5, this, Act 6, this, but so, like Act Five and a half is like, the second half of Act Five is like down here. It's like off. Is that what the church feels like? It doesn't line up with what we read in the book of Acts, prescriptively or descriptively. And so what I want to do to finish our time of Acts together is I want to do my best attempt as I look at the, the, the book of Acts and go, here's what I think the gospel is. Here's what I think the gospel does in the back half of Acts 5. Meaning Jesus came on the scene. He says he's bringing his kingdom and he doesn't just leave us with a pamphlet. Okay, disciples, here's exactly what you're going to do. He sends them out on mission in Acts 1.8. And then we find messing up. We find, find them getting it right. We find very real stories. God moving in some crazy ways. And then it's almost Luke, like Luke goes, okay, it's your turn. Crazy. And so in my opinion, um, there might be more, there might be less. But I think there are eight things that become completely clear to me as we've read and gone through since the beginning of the year, the book of Acts. And I want to share those eight things with you for, for our time together uh, in response to finishing out Acts 28, okay? So here's, here's where we're going to start. Uh, and I think I even have points for you, the gospel. Um, so here's what I would say. Here's what the gospel has been doing in the book of Acts. And then I would hope that we would see in our own life. So here's the first thing. It's clear that the gospel is a fulfillment of Israel's hope. I'm going to stay close to my notes so we don't get off on time here. Um, so um, we've read the story of, of Acts narratively. We've read it in story form. But if we were to systematize it, meaning this correlates with this, this correlates with this, if you were to pull back and you were to read the book of Acts, there's clearly something that Jesus did with his followers in fulfilling what we saw in the Old Testament. Um, you don't have to turn there, but I, and I have passages that are not on the screen, but you can just listen. If you remember in uh, Acts 1 6, the way it all starts, the first question that the disciples ask is, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And Peter's sermon in Acts 2, he's pointing to the fact that Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. We are a fulfillment of the Old Testament. You see this again in Acts 7. Stephen, before he literally has rocks thrown at him until he dies, preaches a sermon pointing the Old Testament. This is a fulfillment of what's going on. Even as late as re, uh, um, Acts 26, 22. So I stand here testifying both to small and great. This is Paul saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. So... Um, in two weeks, not on the 8th, but on the 15th, we're going to come up here with four different paintings. Once a year, we try to have uh, an artist in our congregation tell the story of God. And we break it up into four different acts. We break it up. You'll see a painting on creation. You'll see a, creation, uh, a painting on fall. You'll see a painting on uh, a redemption, Jesus returning, and then, uh, uh, or Jesus coming the first time, and then restoration, Jesus making all things the way they're supposed to be. Now, Mike uh, Goheen, in his book, Drama of Scripture, the Drama of Scripture, doesn't give a four-act play. He gives a six-act play, and he does it intentionally. The reason that he does is he says, there's act one, which is creation, act two, there's fall. But then we have this huge part of our Bible. That's the story of Israel. And then we have Jesus coming. And then we have act five, which is actually the story of the church, which we don't know too well. And then we have restoration. And the reason he does this is he's juxtapositioning the idea that the people of Israel, hear this, this is super important. The people of Israel had a goal 
They had a purpose. They had commands to live for Jesus, or well, not for Jesus, to, to live for Yahweh. And the church is a fulfillment of what Israel was supposed to be doing. That's why he adds Act 3 and Act 5. That's why he adds these two different acts. And so here, if you can hear, hear me when I say, when we read the book of Acts, you and me were fulfilling what Israel was supposed to be doing in the Old Testament. We are to be a light to the nations around us. We are to be a people, a priesthood. We are a fulfillment of what God wanted to do when he called Abraham. It's good news. So there's the first thing. It's clear. Shakespearean actor asked the question, well, what's that? Le- oh, it's something about there's a fulfillment of what happened in Acts 1 through 4. Here's the second thing. Um, there's clear, if I'm looking at the book of Acts, that God gives uh, a power through his spirit. Let's look at a couple things in here. Um, uh, in, in chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. This is how this whole thing starts. So let's just be straight real quick, because I think, um, you know, I came from a charismatic background, and I think I see a lot of this and done in a lot of the wrong ways, but there is a clear step into the spiritual in the book of Acts that we feel like is almost missing at times. There is clearly a power, a power to defeat sin, a power to heal people at times, a power to do some crazy, crazy stuff, not for their own recollection or their own glory, but for the glory of God. There's a power. The Holy Spirit is all over the book of Acts. So if I'm just looking and going, hey, like what, what, is, what, what is in the book of Acts? What does it look like? It's clear to me, bro, that the book of Acts talks about the Holy Spirit a lot. Matter of fact, in all the gospels, four books in our New Testament, the Holy Spirit's mentioned 70 times. In the book of Acts, one book, it's mentioned, he's mentioned 67 times. Just as many in, in one book. Uh, historically, actually, this is a, 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 the book of Acts is actually known uh, in certain groups as the Acts of the Holy Spirit, not the Acts of the Apostle. The Apostles. So, so the idea would be as I read the book of Acts and as you read the book of Acts, that the Holy Spirit clearly is a part of the DNA at the back half of that loss, Act 5. Let's keep going. The next thing. Um, uh, the third thing, uh, it's clear to me if I was to read the book of Acts, as we look back, that God is creating a community. Listen to Acts two. Now, when I say this, hear me, God is creating a community. I know we've talked about community. Let's talk about the difference between like Facebook community and legit community. Cause the book of Acts gets at this idea, uh, when it says this in Acts two, listen, verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Just, just real quick, I want you to listen to something. Listen to those pronouns. I, this, is, this is huge, right? Because I get sometimes people who are, who've been coming to the church for like a year, year and a half, two years, and they go, man, I just, I love being here. You guys, you guys are, are a great place to come. And, and here, and I want you to hear that. Immediately, a little bit of me cringes because I go, you guys, bro, you've been coming here for a year and a half. Is this not us? Is it not we? And yet in the book of Acts, over and over and over again, it's language like, and they themselves, they were together. Listen to verse 45. They were selling their possessions and and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day, and uh, I'm sorry, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Do you hear that? That together, they're driving to church. Together, they're in each other's houses. Together, they know each other well. If I was to read the book of Acts, there's something unique about the fellowship that I read. There's something about the togetherness that we see. 
couple of verses uh, for you that, that you, you can read also. If you want to go back to Acts 5, they literally were selling all their possessions for one another. In Acts 8, they suffer under Paul together. Even in Acts 20, uh, verses 36 uh, and, and 37 says this, And when they had these things, he knelt down and prayed. This is Paul leaving. Listen to how the people uh, and, and Paul's relationship were. And they were, there was much we, weeping on part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful. When, when Paul was leaving, it wasn't just like, a, Paul, you're doing it, bro, you're doing it. There is a togetherness, an all-inness about this community that's just different. Which leads to the fourth thing, and I'll roll right into it. It wasn't just a community, but in my opinion, as I read the book of Acts, it was a community of different races and backgrounds. Like, and check this out. This is, this is a, a huge thing for me, because I think a lot of you guys know my upbringing. It wasn't until I arrived in suburbia, specifically in suburban church contexts, where it was all white. And it was, it was difficult for me. I've explained that for you guys, to you guys before. I mean, a lot of the things that I even do throughout the week, this is really one of the few places that's predominantly white. And there's no white shame or white guilt in this. I'm saying this is true for churches across the board. Black churches, predominantly Spanish-speaking churches, white churches. There's a segregation that goes on. Listen, I play basketball on Tuesday night, and you know what? It's not segregated. Everybody's in there. I'm rolling everyone's ankles, getting it in. Okay? It's just reality. Okay? So, so, so my, my point in saying this is it's not just a community— but it, but it tends to be this community of racial reconciliation. This, this is huge. Um, let me read something to you before. I don't want to get off on a tangent. Listen to Acts 2.5. Um, this is when the Holy Spirit falls. And the Holy Spirit falls. And there, there's 120 people in this upper room. And there's people all around them. I want you to listen to the people all around them. Uh, the way that they're described. There were men dwelling from every nation. Now. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit falls. Men dwelling from every nation are listening, and they begin to mock. Peter preaches a sermon. Now listen to uh, uh, Luke describing those same men from every nation. Listen to this. It's those same men who were cut to the heart and then joined the church in Acts uh, 2, 37 through 41. Do do the logic here. Men from every nation joined the church. Do you hear that? It was eclectic. It It was broad. I mean, you can go as far as if you look at uh, Acts 10, Acts 11 being the largest example of this. Um, I, I, would, I would contend um, that the majority of Acts of what we find in the book of Acts um, is about racial reconciliation. It's crazy. You, you, can, see it, um, you can see it as far as uh, um, when, when Jew and Gentiles, the Hellenistic Jews, and, and, and the people as the church are gathering together, there's this fighting that goes on. You can see it as Peter and Cornelius come together in Acts 10 and 11, that the Jews don't like this idea. You can see the Jews, I mean, pick it up from, from uh, geez, Acts 22, 21, all the way through the rest of the book of Acts, is one race not liking another race. And it's one man going, no, these people are accepted. The Antioch church, which is the largest church, I would even argue maybe larger than the Jerusalem church, which is predominantly one race, was insanely eclectic. We talked about their leadership. They had people of different backgrounds, Latin. They had different people of, uh, 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 of different even colors. Like, it's crazy. There was Jew, there was Gentile, all coming together. And it seems to me the church, if I was to read the book of Acts, represented not just a community, but a community of all types of people. That's just, that's just, if you just ask me what I saw in the book of Acts, it was this coming together of all types of people. Let's keep going. Uh, what's also true uh, uh, that I see in this, um, that the gospel is, is, if I was to read, read it, is um, it's polarizing. 
Like, if I, and I was trying to figure out a best way to explain this. Um, if, if I was just handed the book of Acts, it would be clear to me that there were, there's really no middle ground, right? There, there's no idea of, um, well, he's kind of in and he's kind of out. Uh, it's this idea of like people either really were in or really were out, really liked it or really hated it. Listen to, to some of these things. I think it's worth uh, bringing up. Listen to Acts 17, 32 through 34. And man, you could see this in Acts 4, Acts 7, Acts 12, uh, 19 through 28. It's this polarizing message. But Acts 17, now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, this is Paul at Mars Hill, if you remember. Some mocked, right? And then go to verse 33. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined and believed. So it's clear to me, if I was to read the book of Acts, there's no like, uh, oh yeah, yeah, Peter, he was like, I think he was a Christian. There's no I thinks. If I was to read it, it's like this, Wow. People either were really willing to go to prison and die for this thing, or people were willing to send people to prison or kill for this thing. It was either in or it was out. If I'm just reading the book of Acts, that's what I find. It's a polarizing message. Let's just be aware of that. Number six. I don't like these point things. I'm going to just go off the rail. Um, Number six. Um, I think the gospel, if I was to look at it, and and this is uh, a huge one for me, it it calls God's people to suffer until he returns. If I was asked, what's it like for the people in Acts? Okay, just here, bro, read the book of Acts. Never read anything before. It's just a story. I'm not a believer. And they're going, okay, what was life like for those people? I feel like my answer would be difficult. Every single chapter in the book of Acts, except Acts 1, 10, and 11, Mentions Christians being mocked, mentions Christians being persecuted, hated, hunted down. Every single chapter. So not only is this message polarizing, not only is it that people are all in or they hate this gospel, but it seems that the people of God, the Christians, the back half of Act 5, the way they're supposed to live, is a life that is difficult. Now, let me flesh this out because I think immediately we can go, well, then I'm going to sell everything that I have. I'm going to go live as a homeless person and not have a job. And, or maybe I'm going to go to the missionary field or whatever it is. This is where we, we really create a secular and sacred divide, meaning there are certain things when you tithe and you worship and you go to church that are sacred. And then there are secular things. You go to work. Uh, you, you raise your kids. And I just want, want to press against this. this is what Al Walters in his book, Creation or Grains, the ultimate book is ultimately it's about. It's, it's about this, this molding, this, this melding together of, hey, listen, life can be difficult because when you go to your job or when you raise your kids, you're doing your best to live out the kingdom of God in a way that the world says is foolishness. And just because our context, this is important, right now has a Christian overtone doesn't mean it's always going to be like that, bro. Doesn't mean it's always going to be like that. The majority of our Christian brothers and sisters around the world don't have it the way that we have it. We've got to navigate waters a little bit different when it comes to cultural norms. But hear me, that doesn't mean it's just a a posh life. You've been called to sacrifice. You've been called to die. That means the way that you view television, the way that you view your spouse, the way that you view your job, the way you give your money, You've been called to sacrifice. And it's clear to me as I read the book of Acts, it's all over the scripture. Only three chapters in the book of Acts doesn't mention some type of mocking, persecution, suffering. No, it's loaded with the people of God. It's going to be difficult. The last two we'll get through fairly quickly. 
Number seven, um, it's clear to me that, and this is, uh, this was an important one to me because I think it's more of a th- an ethereal approach, but it's clear to me that, um, uh, yeah, it's never going to stop. So if I was to be asked, okay, cool, you read the book of Acts, um, now what? I'm going, listen, I don't know, but I'm telling you, people have been trying to hunt down these little Christian rats everywhere. And they're like going into walls. They're hiding out. Nothing's stopping this thing. Hear hear me. This is big. Because everywhere the gospel has gone since then, has gone to the poor, has gone to the marginalized, and it continues to move, right? It continues to go places where it can be received. And as soon as something tries to snuff it out, snuff it out in America, make it a post-Christian religion. All the while, South America's blowing up. Northern Africa's blowing up. China's blowing up. You ain't killing this thing. So if I was, re- if I was to read the book of Acts, I would go, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm telling you, nobody's stopping this movement. Whatever Jesus did with those 120 people was crazy. He gave them Wolverine-type regeneration skills, because I don't know what's going on, but they can, they can die, and then they become two. They just multiply. It's crazy. Every time there's persecution, they spread out. It's so bizarre to me that we just casually read uh, 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 Acts 28, which is there's a church in Romans, uh, in Rome, and believers come to Paul. Here's a big question. Where did they come from? Paul's been traveling around planting churches. He hasn't been to Rome yet, y'all. The gospel beat him there. Even Luke, in his storytelling, cannot keep up with how fast the gospel is spreading from city to city, state to state, nation to nation. It's unstoppable. That's the movement you're a part of. That's the mantle we take on as people who come from the the end of Acts 5 there, the book of Acts. It's awesome. And then lastly... um, Number eight, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because my man Dwayne Hawkins is coming in preaching next week, and he's going to talk about this. But this is a big one, and I would argue ultimately what the book of Acts is about in that all those other things are kind of, um, those are pieces. So, right, when suffering is, the the book of Acts is all about suffering, and and you see racial reconciliation, all that is true. The thread that goes through all of them is that the kingdom of God is on the move, mission. That if I was to read the book of Acts, and I was just, hey, what's it about? It's, it's not just unstoppable, but, but the kingdom of God is growing. It's, it's on mission. And um, lest I go too deep into this, I want to remind you that the book of Acts is part two of what Luke wrote. Now, Luke is a synoptic gospel, meaning there's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark writes very similar to what Luke is writing. And here's how Jesus comes on the scene in, in Mark 1.15. He comes on the scene and he says, I've got good news. The, the gospel, I've got good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. And and in Mark, what we find two verses later is Jesus says this. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you how to be a fisher of men. And from that point, it's mission. It's mission. Now, I'm not going to take from Dwayne's thrust, but that's what he's going to preach out of. He's going to remind us of the beginning, the story of the kingdom of God and how it started and how Jesus has been with the people on mission. That's all I got. I feel like as I read the book of Acts, those are the big eight things. These things seem clear to me that it's a fulfillment of Israel's hope that we are currently living out what Israel should have been and at times did live out. It gives us a new power through God's spirit. The Holy Spirit is with you right now. You're in Acts. 
Act five, you're, you're, you're that lost Shakespearean play. Now we're getting, getting to see it out. You have the spirit of God within you. If you believe in Jesus Christ, it creates a community, a togetherness, but it's not just some, some regular community. It's a together community that is ultimately of different races and backgrounds. The gospel at the same time is extremely polarizing. You're going to go to work and some people are going to go, oh, wait, say that again. And some people are going to go, not that guy again. Which creates, obviously, God's people being called to suffer until he returns. Um, ultimately leads us to the fact that it's never going to stop. And then mission, which Dwayne will get at. I want to read something to you. And then I want to do a pastoral blessing. And I'm going to explain that uh, for you uh, in a second. But this is in Jeremiah 32. I don't have it on the screen. You're welcome to turn there if you want, but you don't have to. I want you just to listen. Because this is God's promise to the people of Israel. This is his promise that they've been... Um, captured by the Babylonians and they are living in a place that is not their home. And God makes a declaration that don't worry, I'm going to create an everlasting covenant for you to, to, to bring you to where I wanted you to be. I want you to just listen to the language. If you don't have your Bible, it's okay. I don't have it on the screen. I almost would ask you to listen to it because I think you can hear the beauty of this. Listen to what God says to his people. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart, one way, and they are that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. Verse 40 I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. God is declaring, I know, I know that you're in subjugation. I know you're in slavery, but one day I'm going to come and I'm going to make an everlasting covenant. I'm going to bind my people together. I'm going to give them one heart for their own good. Hear me, brothers and sisters. There's a literal translation to this, quite literally. But, but I think in the narrative of scripture, I think you are that promise. I think we are the fulfillments, the everlasting covenant that was made through Jesus Christ has, has propelled us as the people of God to have one heart, to fear the Lord, to follow his commandments. Hear this, for our own good. He has brought us together. We're living out the Bible right now. We know historically what happened to Paul. What good is it now? Because now we have the beginning of Acts 5, Act 5, to live out what we're supposed to at the back half of Act 5. Where is Jesus now? Hear me. This is crazy. He's talking to you. He, he does. The Holy Spirit is whispering to you. And what's so crazy about all this what, what the early apostles, what the early believers didn't have was the word. It's not that you're just in your room and, and kind of like mystically trying to hope that he speaks to you. We have, because of the Holy Spirit's power, him speaking directly through his word to us. This is good news. So my prayer is that Redemption Peoria would, would live this out, that we'd be honest about where we see the book of Acts in these eight areas, and I hope that we digest them well. So... Um, I want to pray for us. I want to pray for Redemption Peoria and specifically just you who are here uh, right now. Um, and um, 
when I was doing church history stuff, uh, um, I found a lot that the, the fathers, the early fathers, there's this idea of they'd be sent to an area and they would own these 50, 100 people. They would own, the, own this flock in such a way that they would pray for them. They would know them by name. And I know that as we grow, I can't do that. But ultimately, what you'd find is these pastors is they would bless their people. Now, if you're not familiar with blessing, don't worry. Again, charismatic. I want to bring out the anointing oil. We're not going to do it. Um, but if you're not familiar with this blessing, it's crazy if you go back and read the Old Testament. So there's a, Old Testament, there's a part where um, uh, these two brothers, Jacob and Esau, are looking for their father's blessing. And um, ultimately, Jacob lies and gets Esau's blessing. Now, Esau goes to his father, and Esau says, Father, give me the blessing. And quite literally, his father looks at him and says, I've already given it to Jacob, to, to all, who ends up being Israel. Now, you read the story, and you go, well, why can't he just bless him too? No, there is something about this blessing this, I, I'm going on, not curses, but that God's hand would be with you. That, that was symbolically almost real, tangible in that moment. And so um, I'm not very articulate, but I did my best to write a pastoral blessing for us. And I want to pray that blessing over you. And then um, we'll take our moment of silence. So if you can stand to your feet, please. At the end of our service, if you're new, you will find that, um, you'll find that, uh, we're going to do a, a benediction where we raise our hands. And if you want to, you're more than welcome to. But I want to pray this blessing over you um, just as a pastor and on behalf of the elders that what we've read uh, in the book of Acts would be true. And it's just a line item of what we've seen in the book of Acts. So let's pray. <sighs> Father, I pray a blessing over redemption Peoria. I pray they would be filled with a spirit according to the beginning of Acts 2. I pray they would be devoted to your word, to prayer, and to each other according to the end of Acts 2. I pray for a willing heart to give you everything according to Acts 5. I pray for the power to preach with boldness to the non-believer according to Acts 7. I pray you would remind them of, their, of your protection and deliverance according to Acts 12 and racial reconciliation according to Acts 10 and 11. I pray you would give them the power to worship in times of pain according to Acts 16. I pray they would see the idols of our city and be provoked within themselves according to Acts 17. I pray they would be competent in the scriptures, fervent in spirit, teaching the things of Jesus accurately according to Acts 18. I pray they would hold on and be faithful even in times of people hating them for doing what is right according to Acts 19. I pray they would not count their life as a value or precious to themselves, but would only want to finish the ministry you gave them according to Acts 20. I pray you would give them courage to testify to the facts according to you in Acts 23. I pray you would give them the confidence in doing, in, in, to endure the storms of their life according to Acts 27. And lastly, I pray they would welcome all and proclaim the kingdom of God with all boldness according to Acts 28. In the name of Jesus, amen.